You're listening to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast, featuring conversations on the business of transforming healthcare. Welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Sam Glick, partner in the Health and Life Sciences Practice here at Oliver Wyman. In this episode, I'm delighted to be speaking with my colleague and friend, Helen Lees. Helen and I are here on location in San Diego at our Health and Life Sciences offsite with uh, a couple hundred of our colleagues here today. You having fun? I'm having a great time. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Helen, um, you are our resident expert on consumer-centric business models for healthcare, Mm -hmm. uh, and you speak frequently on consumer health innovation uh, and think a lot about uh, what healthcare really means from the consumer's perspective. Um, In particular, recently you've done a significant amount of research gathering insights into consumers' healthcare hassles. That's right. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. What I found interesting in in the research, and we've seen it proven out several times over now, is that there are two big buckets of hassles. And the first hassle has everything to do with our messy and complicated healthcare system today in the US. So it's things like, what happens when my kid falls off the trampoline and has a concussion? What happens when I have a cancer diagnosis? Where do I go next? What's the right treatment? How do I figure out how to access the system? How can I tell what I'm supposed to pay? All of that stuff is one bucket. The other bucket is more related to things that fall outside the traditional scope that our clients, payers and providers worry about today for their customers, right? So it's things like, how do I get a good night's sleep? How do I make time to work out? How do I afford healthy foods or figure out how to make time in my day to cook for my family? And it's all things that payers and providers you know, didn't really care about, frankly, because it didn't hit their P&L in the same way that we think it's likely to over the next you know, decade or two as people don't have the right healthy habits and that starts to bear out in their um, disease patterns. And do you think people are increasingly making that link between healthy habits and how often they have to see the doctor or be in the hospital? Not yet. I think people are making the link between healthy habits, staving off things like diabetes and cancers. I don't think they're yet connecting it to how they think about utilizing the system today to help them prevent those things in the future. And so do they look to the healthcare system to help with any of those things? Or in their minds, is is the diet book or the cooking class a a different world? It's a different world to them right now. They are pleased, surprised, and delighted when their benefit stack includes something like a free gym membership. But they think, you know, they go to Amazon, they go to Google, and they go to Apple, the Apple Store, for all those kinds of goods and services and offerings, and they don't go to their payer's website or their doctor's office for that. And are are there different attitudes across segments? You know, we tend to be pretty rudimentary in healthcare about segmentation. We we think it's advanced when we go from segmenting you based on who buys your insurance to to calling you a diabetic. But uh, I imagine there's nuance to that. Hugely different. So um, one thing that I found particularly interesting is when you look at chronic disease patients and you look at them by age, and we saw this in the most recent research that came out, the boomer segment tends to kind of accept the diagnosis and accept whatever the treatment solution offering is for that. The millennial will look at that diagnosis and will say, what is available out there to make this experience better for me? What can help this be a different situation, a different scenario, a different path for me? I own it. Right? It's mine to figure out. Um, I thought that's been very interesting. We're seeing them be much more proactive in owning both sick care and healthcare situations than boomers are. 
And do they do they think differently in that way about how much they trust the traditional system? You know, we um, yeah. we sit here in California where the average age of a primary care doctor is 62 years old, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. We're not going to have yeah. enough of those primary care doctors very no. soon here. No. Um, and do millennials even want them? Well, so what's interesting to me, and we've seen this play out across segments, but it's particularly pronounced with millennials. Trust in institutions is at an all-time low. People don't trust Congress. They don't trust big pharma companies. They don't trust payers, right? If it's a big company, I assume that they're in it for themselves and they're going to optimize for themselves and not for me as their consumer. What people do trust are their peers. So when something goes wrong... We've seen consumers go on Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook to find patients like them and ask them more about their experiences. Who did you trust? Where did you go? What did they recommend? Before they set foot in the doctor's office again. I find that fascinating. Yeah. You also see that play out like millennials when they're looking for what can, do, what can make this experience better given the diagnosis I have. They're also looking for communities like them. They're looking for social networks of people who are on a similar unchosen healthcare journey because they're looking for that peer support and trusted advice. So we haven't talked about the cost aspect of all this. Oh, my favorite subject. And, uh, you know, it always strikes me that there's a bit of a paradox in in healthcare cost, which is, um, you know, the average American, 50% of Americans say they can't find $2,000 to pay a healthcare bill in 30 days, mm-hmm. but they spend north of $2,300 a year on their self-employment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, will find discretionary income for things that actually delight them. That's right. Um, and at the same time, um, have a massively hard time paying for healthcare. <clears throat> Is healthcare too expensive, or are we just not delivering the value for the price we charge? I think it's largely perception, right? And it's we've disconnected the sources of value from the cost in this country. Because when I get cancer, knock on wood, maybe I won't, hopefully. Helen's knocking on my head for our listeners. I want, yes, I am. I'm knocking on wood, I'm tripping my head. I want the leading innovation. I want to know the best clinical trial. I want to know what immunotherapy could work for me. I want the gene sequencing done. I want all the innovation. And guess what? Innovation is expensive. So we want to save lives. We want the best of the best. But then when we get the bill, we're a little uncomfortable because we have become accustomed to not seeing the real pricing because we were in a B2B business model where the consumer didn't really know what it cost. So now we're seeing something quite different where with high deductible plans, consumers are bearing more of that cost burden and they're making different choices. We were just talking in a session this morning about we're seeing higher patient abandonment rate on prescriptions. Interesting. So a patient, you know, will be diagnosed with something and given a prescription, and when they find out that it's $600, they won't fill it. Right. Or the refill will be slow because they're stretching the dollar. So I think you taught me this several years ago, which is healthcare is no longer about being the best of the worst. You're now competing with other consumer wallet Vendors, for lack of a better word, Amazon, Apple, Saks, you name it. And you're having to convince them not to spend on other sectors, to spend on healthcare instead. And that's a very tough sell. Yeah. So let me sort of push on that a little bit. You know, we we recently did our survey with Fortune Knowledge Group of health consumers um, and, um, you know, found, I think, a lot of the things you've described. But one of the things that that came out was um, people obviously say they're concerned about rising health care costs. Um, they suggest in the way they answer some of the questions that they may be willing to opt out of the claims-based system um, when they can get something cheaper for cash, you know, the way that... Yeah. 
uh, with my auto insurance, if my windshield breaks, I may just get it fixed and not file a claim. Yep. Right. With with retail healthcare for sixty bucks, I may just do it yep. and not and not file a claim. Uh, what's interesting though is they end up paying double. I mean, this is what these answers say. Which there are things where if they really delight them, if they feel like Amazon or Nordstrom mm-hmm. or Target or you know pick your favorite, um, that they're at least accepting, if not you know willing, uh, of the idea that they might be paying large amounts of money for health insurance or their employers paying it on their behalf, and they would still buy more. They would still buy up yes. just to fix it. Does that last? And if so, if I'm a healthcare company, which of those services should I be selling? I think the reason they're making those choices is because it's not just the commodity that they're buying, it's the experience wrap that comes with it. And maybe it's about convenience, maybe it's about access, right? So, you know, five years ago, I used to call my doctor in October and say, do you have your flu shots in yet? And they would say, call back in a week, and it would be this runaround until you'd finally get an appointment scheduled to go in for a flu shot. By the way, the doctor's office is 40 blocks from my office and 30 blocks from my home. And then you saw CVS, Miniclinic, say, sign in the window every time you know you go in to pick up 29 bucks, come do it. Come on back for your flu shot. So they're, they're selling convenience and access in a way that plans and providers have not been doing. So in the consumer's mind, I'm not paying 29 bucks for the flu shot. I'm paying 29 bucks for the convenience. Right. And I don't really care that my health I, insurance would cover it free if I went 40 exactly. bucks. I mean, it's an interesting thing. So where where do you see the bright spots in that? If you're an innovator, which of those $29 or $50 or whatever it might be things would you be selling? I mean, it, it starts with a deep understanding of consumer needs and emotions, right? And I was really interested living in New York, how quickly Oscar took off in the first year on the exchanges. And some of it was they were just communicating in a very human empathetic individual way you would see the signs on the subway and it was like we're oscar we think there's we think there's something better in healthcare and it was just it was simple language it wasn't complicated eight point font disclaimer upon disclaimer so i think like getting into the consumer's mind and sorting out like what is the thing you're worried about right we've seen some interesting offerings that pairs are experimenting with now maxwell health was one of the first to do this where they bundle an offering around a life stage right so you know I went to their website and there was an image of a woman with a dog and two kids running around on a front lawn with a kind of a brownstone building behind her. And it's like, you know, that image resonated with my mind and I click through and it's not just the traditional benefit stack for it's a whole package. Before, it's you probably need meal delivery. You might need care.com for babysitting or elder care. You know, you might need um, security theft protection because you buy a lot online. It was a whole integrated holistic point of view of who I am as a person and what therefore I would need offered up to me on a silver platter. Yeah. So what about people who aren't like you and me? You live in New York. Mm -hmm. I live in San Francisco. We both have good health insurance. Um, I know you've spent a lot of time with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Mm -hmm. thinking about people whose access to healthcare is much less certain uh, and who are far more vulnerable. Is this a haves versus have not situation or does consumerism work in the, the Medicaid and uninsured segments as well? The inequities in this country are appalling. I mean, it's a huge moral failure in my mind. So so that, I think we have to hold that up under some harsh light and look at it carefully. I think it is still very consumer driven in that these are people making decisions for themselves and their families. So, you know, we heard people say in focus groups over and over again that if they don't feel respected by the provider, they're not gonna to adhere to the care plan. And their uh, symbols of respect were not 
high, it wasn't a high bar. It was things like, did the doctor look me in the eye when he came into the examination room? Or was he staring at a form? Did he let me finish a sentence when I asked a question? Did he scold me? I mean, this is not rocket science right. kind of stuff. And I know changing provider culture and behaviors. But this is, is stuff your mother taught you. This is stuff you learned in kindergarten, yeah. right? This is not hard stuff. But, you know, we heard people say over and over again from these different vulnerable populations that they chose to opt out, right? So you play that forward and you've got a woman who's just been diagnosed type 2 diabetes who doesn't feel respected by her doctor, who doesn't fill the prescription for the metformin, right? who, you know, is too busy to figure out the exercise and eating habits that she needs to change. And that you just see that disease progression carry through and you see the costs associated with it that becomes, you know, an epic failure in this country. Right. So, I mean, you can imagine, we all like to draw the parallels to to other industries, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there have been consumer companies, real consumer companies, that have delighted consumers at all levels of the income spectrum. You know, there is the Mm -hmm. Nordstrom and the Walmart, and Walmart delivers a kind of delightful experience that is, is in many ways, more transformative to the economy uh, than what Nordstrom has done. And we can kind of list off the examples. Amazon has managed to span a pretty wide range of consumers. Will we ever get there in healthcare? You know, it's 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 funny. Some industries, I think, have fully made that transformation. Yeah. But there's some big, highly regulated industries. You know, airlines, banks, where they're good, and you can find bright spots, but they're they're not fully there. And with healthcare being probably more regulated than those two combined, will we get there? Will we have an Amazon or a Walmart or a Nordstrom? I think I think we will get there. I think the stakes are high. I think. Um, If you look at, I like the airline industry example in particular, because when we talk about experience, one of the main sources of skepticism I get from payer executives in particular is, well, sure, if I'm the Four Seasons or 11 Madison Park, I've got a ton of margin I can reinvest in the experience. Anything I want. Yeah. Anything I want, right? I can go buy sleds for that family who wants to go, you know, sledding in Central Park, um, even though I'm a restaurant business. (laughs) Right. I think what's interesting to me is if you look at the airline industry, it's a fabulous analogy because like you said, it's highly regulated. It is extremely low margin. It's extremely competitive. It is global and local, right? Right. Like I'm willing to fly Air, you know, British Airways, but I really want to fly the one that's right out of my terminal, my gate, where I have the airline lounge already in place, and I already have miles on. Um, and the standards for safety are just as high as physicians have. And I think what we've seen in the airline industry is a real, like some of the most recent examples, notwithstanding of people being dragged off of planes, is. Um, it was the new entrants who really disrupted around experience in the offering, right? Like Southwest Airlines showed up however many years ago and said, we don't think you care that much about seat assignment. We think you care more about pricing and about point to point without having to connect yeah. through big hubs. And it was shocking. And first class doesn't matter that much. Right. A lot of yeah. people were like, but this isn't a bus. Like, I actually want a seat assignment. And what we discovered is actually there's a whole segment of consumers who don't who prioritize other things over that. So yeah. I think the conjoint analyses for healthcare, it hasn't really played out yet. And what trade-offs different segments are willing to make, we don't fully understand. So I think we have a lot of room to grow in healthcare. I think there's going to be a lot of disruption from outside. You know, if you look at the retail and technology players who are kind of eyeing the value in this space, I think healthcare is going to be hugely disrupted by that. And I think it'll follow some interesting patterns that we've seen play out in airlines. I mean, telecommunications is another great example. When you had all the baby bells around the country, highly regulated, we thought it would never get to something simple and easy like the iPhone is today. 
So we'll do it. Hope for the future. So on that, I'll ask uh, the question I ask everybody, okay. uh, which is make yourself queen for the day. Uh, you've got all the time and money and influence in the world. What's the one thing you do to change healthcare? I love this question. I think mine is waking people up to the notion of prevention because we spend so much in this country when it's already too late. And we spend so much on not just our financial resources, but our emotional, intellectual resources, solving problems that we could have averted altogether. So my magic wand would be waking people up to the idea of prevention. I would change the way schools think about curriculum. I would have a lot more standing in schools and less sitting. I would have more recess time, more physical education time. I would have cooking classes. I would have financial planning classes. Like I would change everything about our education and built environment for ages one to 21. And I think that then will flow through from there. From your mouth to God's ears. Helen Lees, thank you. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. Oliver Wyman Health is a virtual community of innovators convened by the health and life sciences practice of global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. Find us online at health.oliverwyman.com and follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor.